0: I'm just so glad you're here again. If we haven't met before, my name is John. I'm the campus pastor here at the center, and uh, you picked an awesome one to be here because today is kind of like one big family. We're one big happy family. You're like, I don't know if I want to be family with these people. Well, too bad. Here you are. And someone's going to shake your hand and give you a hug on the way out, or if you haven't got one already. Uh, But welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, A couple things to let you know about, uh, just some family stuff that we want to make sure you're aware of. The first would be uh, if you want to go even deeper, maybe you know uh, have acquaintances when you walk in here, but you want to go deeper in God's word. You maybe want to learn how to pray or how to take a next step of faith, or maybe you just want to get to know people in this community better. Uh, small groups are launching over this next week. And we've got three or four groups that you could be a part of um, meeting throughout our area, throughout the week. Now, but all opportunities for you to say, hey, I want to go deeper. I want to take a next step. That's the place to do it. So if you go to centergr.com community, you can sign up for one of those groups right now. Um, if you don't want to listen to the next five minutes, you could even do it right now if you want. Like, I'd encourage you to do that. That'd be a great step. Uh, But so excited. So, there's a couple groups. Some of those are young adults. Uh, One of them is called a newcomers group. Lindsay and my wife, Lindsay, and I or leading that, if you're newer to the church or just want some kind of encounter with, okay, what are we all about here as a church? Why do we gather? What are we doing in the community? All that kind of stuff, Um, that's a group for you as well as two family groups, which is kind of like, doesn't matter where you're at in life, if you are single, widowed, divorced, or somewhere in between, or have kids, don't have kids, wanna have kids, don't wanna have the kids you have, like wherever you are. in the spectrum those groups are perfect and built for you and so you can join those again centergr.com community if you want more info just grab me after service or write on the communication card more info about groups and we'll make sure to get that to you real quick uh, the second thing is we love to serve we love to be a part of what god's doing in our community you see these banners behind me that kind of outline what are the five most important things to us um, when it comes as a church and our, our vision is to see zero lives unchanged and so we do that By serving, we do that by being in community. We do that by worshiping together. And we do that by giving and and doing all the things that we do on a Sunday. Uh, But in just a couple weekends, October 20th, we're doing something called Trunk or Treat. Many of you are familiar with that. Uh, But Byron Township has invited us back to serve, um, both serving at the Trunk or Treat as well as hosting and just dumping candy on kids. It's like the most fun you'll ever have on a Saturday. Uh, So last last year they had nearly 5,000 kids go through our specific trunk which is incredible so it's just an awesome opportunity not just to kind of throw candy at kids that is definitely fun though I mean I, I will admit that but also to say hey we're in this community we're invested and we care about our, our region we want people to know people come from all over Grand Rapids to this and so just down the road at Whistlestop Park we'll be doing that if you want to serve Go on Facebook, hit the event and say, I want to serve or let us know uh, via email or give us a call or send us a homing pigeon saying, I want to serve at Trunk or Treat, whatever you want to do. uh, We'll make sure you get involved in that. Uh, But we do need a team of you to gather up and maybe donate candy or whatever. So let us know. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, even if you can't show up. So at this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. And if, again, if you're a guest here at the center, don't feel pressure to give. Our, our service this morning is kind of a gift to you. Uh, but if you call this place home, there's multiple ways you can give. You can do that online. You can text in. You can drop a check in the bucket as it goes by, whatever you want to do. Uh, but this is our act of worship. It's not a kind of something we have to do. It's something we get to do as we serve God together. So let's pray, and then we'll continue on with our morning. God, I thank you for this time and thank you for all that you're up to. And I I just thank you that together as we give and as we serve, as we're part of what you're up to in our region, that we get to be a part of the greatest mission ever known to man. And that's seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus in our day, in our age. We pray uh, for that. So thank you as we give that we're giving towards a mission that's so much bigger than us, uh, but involves us and allows us to partner with your Holy Spirit. We love you for it pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, as you get, before we jump into God's word, I want to invite uh, my friend Leah up to the platform uh, or the carpet, whatever it is. I'm not really sure what to call it this morning, but uh, Leah Hankins is stepping in this fall as uh, our first Center Church ministry intern. Someone who said, man, I love what God is up to here. And she's currently training to be a pastor and said, I want to get involved in what you guys are doing. And so I'm going to give her just a second to kind of introduce herself and then uh, ask her another question and then that way you just get to see a face and connect it with the name. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Leah.
1: My name is Leah Hankins. I'm originally Good. from Wisconsin and um, I moved to the Grand Rapids area almost three years ago this month. So Loving it, living it up in the city. It's true. Um, (laughs) It's pretty much the same weather, but I still like it. Um, I've worked in different church camps and different churches since I was really young. Um, And there's something about small, mobile churches that get me, because my parents were a part of one when I was like 10. So it's kind of in my life, and I love it. In your blood. It's in my blood. You could say. I love it.
0: Type A positive, yeah. global church. <laughs> <laughs> Too much information. We did not want to know that. Uh, yeah, so if you're looking, Leah, type A positive. Um, but no, seriously, so Leah served with NTS camp, which my wife serves as a part of. So Many of our students in the room have been a part of camp or are familiar with it. Um, but you said you're from Wisconsin, so I love that you're studying for ministry. I'm assuming I, that you follow Jesus as a part of that, and I love yeah. that. That's great. But what we really want to know Tell us about the most quintessential Wisconsin cheeses.
1: Ah, the cheese. Um, The best kind. If you want a cheese that will bite back, which (laughs) is what cheese should do, check out the Bella Ventano. It's by Sartori. It's about 15 minutes from my childhood home. Um, Otherwise, you know, like any kind of aged cheddar, shoot for like 10 plus years. (laughs) It's all great, you know. (laughs) All cheese is great except for the plastic kind. Craft singles. It's not cheese, guys. Don't eat that. dang
0: it. So it's not good for you, is what you're saying. No,
1: okay. that's
0: plastic. That's very clarifying. Let's put our hands together. Thank Leah. Thank you for serving. Appreciate it. But it's so cool what God's up to, and, and God's calling people from all over just to be a part of it. And it's really exciting that we can't do zero alone. We all know that. Like Zero Lives Unchanged takes everybody all in. So it's cool. Thanks for Leah. Uh, hopefully, you get to know her over the fall as she serves in a bunch of different capacities. Um, But make sure you say hi to her on the way out So uh, I don't know if you know this But today as we jump into God's word uh, We're starting a brand new series called Crash When Relationships Collide Now again, I don't know every single one of you as well as I want to And maybe some of you don't know me as well as you want to yet But I know one thing about every single one of you that's true Every single one of you, it doesn't matter your career, doesn't even matter where you grew up, doesn't matter what kind of cheese you prefer. Like, wherever you're at on the spectrum, I know that we share one thing in common. All of us have experienced conflict, all of us. It doesn't matter if you're at work, it doesn't matter maybe in your home, maybe even in your uh, family of origin. As you grew up, you are used and have either positive or probably some very negative experiences conflict. All of us have experienced this. I was thinking about this in July. So this past July, I got a chance to go with my parents. Um, You can still do that when you're 27. You can still go with them places. I love that about them. Like, they live three hours away, so I get to choose when that happens. But I got to go with them to San Clemente, California. So some of you have been to that area of California. Beautiful beaches, awesome food. Like, it's just a cool place to be. But what didn't entice me about San Clemente was the beaches. It wasn't even the food. It was the fact that it was about 30 minutes away from the Cleveland Mountain Range, and I love running in the wild. I love being outside on the trail. I love kind of finding new places and running mountains and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Mom and Dad, I've got this afternoon free. I'm going. Like, I'm going out to the mountain range. And you can see that's kind of a picture I took mid-run of some of the trails I got to run on. Uh, But before I did that, before that happened, I had a choice to make. I drove out about 20 minutes from where we were staying to this range, and the trailhead I wanted to cost about $3 to park, and there was some kind of fee, so I pulled up. There was no one in line. I was like, yes, like I'm going to have this park to myself, and I drive in, and the lady says, that'll be $3. I said, perfect, had my $3 ready, gave it to her, and she said, wait, 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 before you go, I need to give you this, and she gave me this little waiver to sign, and then she gave me this uh, flyer. Entering mountain lion country. Like, doesn't that sound fun to run in? Like, I'm going to die is basically how I read that. So here's what I found. So there's a couple things uh, that I just think are humorous about this. The first is don't run. Okay, I went to run, so that's a problem. Hold your ground, wave your hands and shout. Yeah, the five, 6 170 guys are really intimidating to a mountain lion, I'm sure. If the lion behaves aggressively, throw stones. Assuming that I know where the stones are and that I've already thought about it every time that I've like run past one. Convince the lion you're not prey and that you may be dangerous to it. That's not gonna happen. Do all you can to appear larger. Pick up small children and place them on your shoulders if you can. In my head, I just picture like Simba. You know what I'm saying? Like... (laughs) I don't wanna die, but here's my kid. Like, if that'll work. Like, I, I wanna keep my future. Uh, the next one, don't crouch down. The lion's seen you long before you saw it. Again, very reassuring. Thank you, park ranger lady. Report any mountain lion sightings in detail to a ranger as soon as possible. Again, assuming I've got a notepad, I'm ready to just detail this encounter as it's running to me and about to tear me to shreds. Like all those things. I love that advisory because it is so impractical. <laughs> like if you're running or hiking out by yourself, that thing does not matter. That mountain lion does not read that and does not care my impression. So I get that flyer and I'm about to continue on, but I did have a choice to make as we all would in that situation ask for my $3 back, and go home and run on the beach. Like, that was my other option. And I did think about it, uh, but I did the most intelligent, wise, smart thing. I said, all right, thank you, I'll have a great day, and I just tore off into the trail. I was like, all right, perfect. So I parked my car, I get on about a half mile in, and the worst thing in the world possible, in my mind, happened. I'm running, and there's all this kind of deep ground cover, and I hear this slight kind of rustling. I'm like oh God, like, I'm going to die right here. Lindsay's going to be annoyed that I disregarded this waiver. My parents are going to be like, man, I want my rental car back. They may care about me too. But uh, there's all these problems I thought in my mind. I look over to my left kind of real slowly. Again, remember, if I think I see the mountain lion, it's already saw me. And I look over and it's a black squirrel. So... <laughs> I was good. Like, I made it. Uh, fast forward about another mile into the trail, though. I'm coming down this valley and heading closer to that mountain range that you saw, the Cleveland Mountains. I'm heading down this valley and starting to come up when I see kind of a large brown animal about 50, 60 yards ahead of me. I said, this, that is not a squirrel. Like, I, I saw a squirrel earlier. This is not a squirrel. And I get up ahead. and start creeping towards it, afraid, but not totally sure what I'm about to see. And I decide, okay, this is it. Like, God is going to take me home. I'm doing what I love. I'm in, I'm in nature. And he's just going to take me up this mountain line and no one's going to know. And uh, it was a deer. So we're good. Like, that also was a lifesaver. But the whole rest of that run, for the next few hours, I was paranoid. I was so afraid. Every little crack or bush, because I didn't see one other human on this trail for three hours because they're all smart like that's why they don't go running by themselves in mountain lion advisory country like they're something uh had a one-up on me in that moment but I still did it it was a great run it was very fun but the entire time was trying to avoid any mountain lion sightings that's exactly how I think almost all of us including me view conflict It's kind of like a mountain lion in our lives. We're like, oh my goodness, if I can kind of dodge and escape it or maybe just kind of not look at it for a while, it'll eventually solve itself or heal itself. And most of us know time does not heal conflict. It makes it worse. And so that's how I view conflict for many of my life. Until I heard this definition, I want to reframe conflict for you over the next four weeks according to what Jesus and the writers of Scripture talk about it, and talk about how we can actually redeem conflict and make it something that makes us better. And so conflict, kind of defined by Nate Regeer, clinical psychologist, is this. Conflict is the gap between what I want and what I'm currently experiencing. Let me say that one more time. Conflict is the gap between what I want, what I want right now, and what I'm currently experiencing, what's out there. What's the ideal, what I'm really pursuing, what I really am desiring? And as I look at that, it reframes conflict, not as something to be ignored or neglected or run away from, but as an opportunity, as an energy to manage, as something that we actually can use to make us better, to help us follow Jesus more closely than ever before, to not waste conflict. It's a new definition, but many of us know the negative side of conflict. And maybe that for you this past week was a blow-up at a coworker. Maybe it was an angry text sent to a spouse. Maybe it was kind of yelling or flying off the handle with a kid. Maybe it was getting mad at a customer service rep or or someone that was supposed to be serving you that there was a clear gap between here's the kind of service I want and here's what I'm currently experiencing, right? We've all probably experienced something similar to that. But on the inside, conflict doesn't always bring the best inside emotions either. It brings emotions like anger and fear. For some of us, it brings up emotions of worry and anxiety and sometimes even stress about, oh my goodness, I I don't know how to deal with this, this thing that's out there. And we've seen marriages fall apart. We've seen organizations crumble. We've seen churches disband. We've seen all these things that are a result of unresolved conflict. And I've probably asked the question, maybe even as much as you, is conflict ever good? Could conflict ever be good? And I think about that in terms of that definition, and the scriptures' writers affirm this, that conflict is not necessarily good or bad, but it's, it's good or bad based on how we deal with it. It can be good and it can be bad, but it's not always one or the other. It's the gap between what I want and what I'm currently experiencing Luckily, we're not alone in this struggle, in this definition, in this experience of conflict because the scripture writers talk specifically about it multiple times. In every book of the Bible, you see conflict taking place. For some, it's actually something that becomes a good thing. For others, it becomes something that destroys them and tears them apart and actually ruins their integrity and ruins the kind of life that God had for them. So conflict is something that the scripture talks a lot about. And Paul, and a terrorist turned disciple, Paul, if you're familiar with this story, in the book of Acts, Acts 15 is one of the most notable conflicts in all of Scripture. I'd encourage you to read through that chapter sometime in this series. Acts 15 is a place where you see the church kind of in the biggest conflict they've ever faced because God said, I'm going to bring insiders into the church. And the people who were the insiders were like, uh, no, I'm good. Like I don't think that works. Like I don't, I don't want the Gentiles to come in. The Jews were saying, uh, "I think you got that part of the mission wrong." Like I don't think that's what Jesus meant by go and make disciples of all nations. But that's what he meant. He said everybody's included in this new family, this new covenant that I'm forming around the person of Jesus. And so there was some serious conflict. Disciples were divided. Churches were divided, communities were torn apart, and Paul was watching this take place in a community especially that he loved, of Ephesus. Ephesus, this incredible community of economy and arts and culture in the Greek world was the epicenter of all the Greek gods. It was a big deal to live and to serve and to be a part of what God was doing in Ephesus, yet conflict was ripping them apart. The story in Ephesians, you see, Paul is writing from a prison cell, And Paul the Apostle, who'd spent a year and a half in Ephesus planning the church, developing leaders, asking that they rally around this mission, very similar to how we articulate of seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus in their community. They were being torn apart by conflict that was not going well, by lack of unity, by a lack of centralizing one another around this common mission that Jesus had given the church. And so in Ephesians four, here's what we read. If you've got your scriptures, you're going to want to turn there. If you've got a device, you're going to want to save it. On Ephesians four, and I'm starting right in verse one, and here's what we read is that as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort. To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Did you catch that first phrase? Anyone see that in verse 1? Paul's writing as a prisoner for the Lord. A prisoner. Paul is writing with a sense of urgency because if you're in prison, in a Roman prison, you're not sure what the next month holds. You don't know where you're gonna end up. I mean, honestly, the future is not in your hands anymore when you're a prisoner. You're sitting there, and he's in this cold cell, likely shackled by feet and hands, scribbling out this letter and trying to sneak it through the prison to get out to this Ephesian church because he loves them and he cares about them, and he knows that conflict can be something to be redeemed, not just run away from. And so Paul's writing this, and there's a sense of urgency in his tone. You can picture right? If you're sitting writing a letter to your kids in prison there's a different level of emotion you would have. Um, As a prisoner for the Lord, there's urgency. uh, Similar to what just happened, there's an urgency to it. And and Paul has a very similar urgency about this this, this discussion, this letter that he's writing. And and chapter 1 through 3 of Ephesians is all about the gospel. It's about what it means to live in the gospel. But chapters 4 to 6 is all about how do we do that? How do you and I practically in an everyday way actually live out the truth of the gospel? How do we do it in a way that makes a difference? I don't know if this is an experience only I've had. I'm guessing you've had it as well. That there's been moments in my life in which there's been a gap between what I know and how I live. And that may be true spiritually for you right now. That may be true physically. You're like, I know Krispy Kreme is not a good move but I really want a Krispy Kreme. Like, you may have had moments like that, situations like that. And I know that's happened in my life, but Paul as well is writing with just a heightened sense of urgency, knowing that you can't just be content with Ephesians 1 through 3, just knowing about God and the good news. You have to live about, live what you know of God, live what you know about the good news so that people are changed and lives are changed. As you look in verse two, you see that he writes, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All of these virtues right here, besides gentleness, are distinctly Christian virtues. The Greeks didn't care about humble lives. They didn't care about being patient. And them being bearing with one another and living with one another and suffering together with one another just wasn't a high value. And Paul's writing about these distinctly Christian values say this is what it means to be the church there's obviously going to be conflict wherever there's people but if we do these things if we stay humble stay patient stay gentle and bear with one another and the times that we have burdens and the times that life is really good conflict will be resolved but verse three is where I want to land just for our last few minutes together is verse three is where it really starts to take root for the Ephesian church as well as for Paul. And he writes this and and echoes this throughout the letters. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul here as a prisoner, writing, scribbling out his last words potentially, is urging them. He's pleading with them. This isn't like a persuasion of like when you go to the mechanic. If there's any mechanics in the room, I apologize. But every time I go to the mechanic, it's like, hey, I I would like my windshield wiper replaced and it's like $20 and somehow my engine is broken, my transmission doesn't work, my tires are bad and every other thing is wrong with my car. I'm like, I don't know how I didn't notice that. Like $2,000 later, my car is perfect and it's fine again. Like maybe you've had that experience. I'm not talking about that kind of persuasion. I'm talking about an urgent, emotive, desperate pleading with this church. Be unified. Be unified. And do it in the bond of peace. Allow peace to glue you together, to mark your relationships. Don't let conflict get the best of you, but get the best out of the conflict. That's exactly what Paul is writing in Ephesians 4. And as you see in Ephesians 4, there's an order to do what, what he writes. Make every effort. That's our job. To keep the unity of the what? The Spirit. To keep the unity of the Spirit that binds us together through the bond of peace. That's a specific way that Paul outlines that. Make every effort. You and I can make effort. You and I can work towards being better at our relationships and being better at resolving conflict and doing it in a positive way. But our job is to keep the unity of the Spirit by doing that through the bond of peace. There's elements to it that take only God's stuff Take only his power, only his presence, only his goodness that you and I can't recreate on our own. But we can make every effort. Some of you know the searing pain of what it's like to walk through a difficult and a hard divorce. Some of you know what it's like to live in the wreckage of a, a destroyed family. To be in the midst of physical suffering and pain and experience a kind of brokenness that pervades every single relationship. Others of you know what it's like to have a great job and the next year somehow it becomes a really, really terrible job. It's nothing that you've done. It's the organization, the culture has kind of taken over and gone toxic or an employer has kind of kind of given some promises but hasn't really fulfilled those promises anytime in the recent history. There's problems that you've experienced. Maybe you've experienced it as a parent. That there's been moments in which you had wished that you had a close relationship with your kid, yet it just seems to get harder and harder to connect. There's a lost unity between you. Some of you have walked through that in a marriage. There's a lost unity. Some of you in a job or even maybe in a church in your religious background. Maybe you grew up in a church where there wasn't unity. There wasn't restored relationships. There wasn't conflict that was handled really well. And it was very destructive, not just to you, but maybe even to the church As a whole, here's the beauty of Paul's words in Ephesians 4. If you don't catch anything or write anything else down, you want to capture this. Where conflict is resolved, unity is restored. Where conflict is resolved, where you and I work it out together, where you and I fight for the best in one another, when you and I know, okay, I'm experiencing a gap between what I want and what I want to experience maybe even in that relationship and we work together, we, our relationship gets better. The best marriages are not the ones that have no conflict. The best marriages are the ones who have conflict and they've handled it well for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. They just know how to do it. They're better at it. The best working relationships and the best team environments, maybe you've been in a boardroom in which it's like the boss presents something and everyone's quiet. Is that unity? No, you're just agreeing to to not cause a stir or cause a problem. Real, true unity and real, true teamwork is when there's conflict and people have different ideas and you end up chipping away at the very best solution and you work together. Where conflict is resolved, unity is restored. And this was really real to me about three or four years ago. Three or four years ago, I was entering in a full-time ministry. I was incredibly naive I had a lot of ideals, had a lot of dreams for what I was going to do, but I had one or two incredibly difficult and offensive conversations to me personally that caused me to rethink that career choice. I wondered, man, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I should have done something else. Like, Maybe I wasn't built to be a pastor. Maybe I can't handle it. Maybe I don't have what it takes spiritually to to withstand some of these really hard conflicts that I had experienced, even as a young guy, freshly married, freshly in ministry. There was one particular conversation in which I walked back to my office after a guy just lit into me for about 30 minutes straight. I barely said a word. I just sat there, and I took it. And as he kind of went through, I I don't think you're cut out for this. You don't fit. You're you're not really a good fit for the church. I I don't think you really deserve to be in this job. All this kind of stuff. I went back to my office and I didn't cry, but I wanted to cry really, really bad. Like, I was kind of pushing my tear ducts. Like, come on. Like, I know you feel this. Like, inside, I just wanted to weep. I felt completely deflated. And I felt like all the energy I had built up over three or four years of training for ministry had just been sucked out of me in 30 minutes. You've probably been in conversations like that. And I sat through that conversation and I, just like you, had a decision. I can let that derail me, or I can work to resolve that conflict. This guy was three times my age. Like, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, what kind of next step it was going to take. But over the next couple weeks, he and I worked together to resolve the conflict. He joined the team I was, I was leading, and we served together for the next couple years. And our relationship wasn't amazing. He's not my best friend. But our unity was restored. Where conflict is resolved, unity is restored. restored and I experienced that that was real to me and here's the alarming truth that the scriptures point out and some of us know this some of us have not yet fully experienced this that your relationships reveal your discipleship and that doesn't matter if we agree that's true or not it's just true it's reality That our marriages, our friendships, our work relationships, our neighbors' relationships, our mechanics' relationships, whatever it is, our relationships reveal our discipleship. How we treat people is the purest reflection of how we really think about God. Man, that's hard. That's like a kick to the chest with some of my relationships. I don't know about you. That is tough to swallow, but it's so true. That where conflict is resolved, unity is restored. And Paul's not writing to people saying, I want you to all be the same. Because that's often what we think about conflict as well. Maybe, even, again, Ben in that boardroom situation or that, that conference call in which everyone's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, that sounds great. And then you all leave the meeting like, that was a terrible idea. I don't think anyone's going to like that. No one's going to buy that. Like, that's a horrible call. That's not unity. Unity is not uniformity. It's not looking the same and thinking the same and acting the same and pretending, yeah, we're cool when really we're not cool. Unity is where conflict is allowed to be in the open and be leveraged as a positive thing and we work together for the best possible result, the best possible relationship, the best possible opportunity for seeing God work in our relationships. That's what it means to resolve conflict because the churches Paul's writing to are not the same. There's some churches that were meeting in homes That were gathering in living rooms, very similar to how our small small groups will over this next week. They were meeting in homes. There's others meeting in rooms like this, more community settings, courtyards, public places. Others that have been driven underground, literally digging out tunnels and caves so that they could worship together. Those churches were not uniform, but they were unified. They were the same. They had a one common heart, one common mission, and that was to see unity. See, unity is not gained, it is kept. Unity is not something we have to achieve or we got to kind of conjure up and maybe it's all the same people in the same room for three or four years. Then unity is there. No, unity we all have as a gift at the very start. Our relationships have it. Our marriages have it. Our best friendships have it. Our churches have it. Or even our organizations that are following God, all those things have unity. And that's not something to achieve or try to gain or try to earn. It's something that God gives us as a gift, but that can be easily lost. And has to be fought for in the bond of peace glued together so it can be kept. So unity can be kept in our relationships. And so if you want to find out what that means for your own life, there's a couple of things you can do. That. But first is we are going to decide together as a group of people that we're going to restore unity in every single relationship. And I know what that means for some of us. And as I was praying and even walking through this teaching early this morning... I was thinking about there's probably, and I have a feeling that there's maybe one or two of you today that there is a relationship that's out there that's fractured, that's broken, that's messed up, that's hurt, that's not reconciled, that's still in a very negative stage of conflict. And your next step from today, believe the Holy Spirit told me this, I don't know who exactly it's for, but your next step today is to go home, to get on the phone, and to talk it out. It's to resolve that conflict. It's to restore unity. Maybe it starts with a text or maybe you end up getting coffee. Whatever it takes, you and I will decide. If we want to follow Jesus and the writing that we read here in Ephesians, we will restore unity in every single relationship. Not because it's a good idea, but because it's a God idea. It's what he wants for us. Something he desires for all of us to have and maybe for you today, that's just simple as reconciling that relationship. That's going to take work. It's going to take time. It may be awkward at first. You may have to crack at it a couple of times before there really is a resolved conflict so that unity can be restored. Others of you, your next step is simply to join a group today. to say, you know what, I've kind of thought about it. I've heard you talk about it. And I don't really, I'm a germaphobe. So I don't wanna to go to other people's house or I don't wanna do, uh, I don't wanna eat a Apocalypse because I don't know who made it or what's in it. Like, I don't wanna do any of that stuff. And I resonate with some of that, okay? Like, I've had people in my home, like, I don't want all these dirty people in my house. Like, I get it, okay? I totally get it. But here's the reality. Maybe your next step And the Holy Spirit has already prompted you probably before this morning is just to join one of those groups and for the next eight weeks to journey in life with people and to see what unity really looks like. Different people, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different religious history, all being brought into a group of people in a circle saying we wanna learn and grow and study God's word and pray for one another. We wanna learn what it means to bear one another's burdens. And if that's you, it's again as simple as going to centergr.com slash community joining a group and doing it for the next eight weeks and say, I'm gonna be invested and involved. Not because I just need something to do. Like, honestly, do we really need another event for our schedules? I'm the first one to say no. But I know that when I prioritize what God prioritizes, my life gets better. Not easier, and maybe not even less cluttered. But at times, it's gonna be simplified because I'm doing exactly what God has asked me to do. And here's the scary reality of this, though is that just like I experienced in my own life, and you have too, the ramifications of lost unity, of broken relationships and wasted conflict, that that for us can be incredibly destructive. But friends, hear me, there's hope. There's a different way. There's a way out. And as Paul is writing, there can be restored unity among us. In your most difficult relationships, maybe it takes a difficult conversation for you, Maybe you do need to go home and make something right. Maybe it's a spouse or a friend or coworker. But for many of us, we will never fully experience all that God has until we restore unity, until we see what it's like to redeem conflict, not to run away from it, to say we're going to work together and be the best that we possibly can be in this. And that's not, not just, I hope you hear this clearly, this is not my hope for you. It's not just my hope for my own marriage or my own family. This is God's hope for us. That zero can look great. We can have the greatest vision statement. We can serve every single day out of the year. And if we don't have unity, it's all in vain. Because God cares about his church. His one unanswered prayer is John 17. I encourage you to read that if you never have. God pray, Jesus prays that we would be one. As the Father and himself and the Spirit are one. He prays that we would be unified. That's his unanswered prayer. We can be part of restoring unity if we work and commit to resolving conflict well so let's pray together jesus we thank you that today in your presence there's wholeness there's healing there's a possibility to see every relationship as you see it to see every opportunity or conflict may uh, in the past really driven us away from a person or pushed us away, or we said, I don't want to engage in that. It's too messy. It's too hard. I'm just going to neglect it and hope that it goes away. God, I pray that we would be the very best, that center church people would be the very best at resolving conflict well, and that unity would be restored and people would be attracted to this weird group of people who's willing to take every word you say seriously and to live it out as a result. So God, we commit to you and we ask for your goodness. We ask for your presence in our relationships knowing that they're the most precious resource that you've given us is other people. It's our wives and our kids and our husbands and our grandparents and our bosses and our grocery store cashier. It's all these people that you let us interact with every day. That's where it really counts. So God, as I pray, I pray that you would stir hearts. You'd prompt us in your own Holy Spirit to see the kind of people we need to become and the people we need to maybe even reconcile with today. So we love you. We trust you. Our hope it's in you. Pray it all in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.